Since the beginning of time, God has chosen to use people to build His kingdom. And despite countless obstacles and distractions, His kingdom continues to grow. This isn't due to any one person or group of people. The advancement of the kingdom of God requires the united effort of the church. Together, we must spread the truth and love of Christ in our neighborhoods and community. Together, we must break down every barrier we encounter until we make disciples among every people group on earth. If we truly want to reach the lost, we can't expect them to come to us. Now more than ever before, we are moving out. How many play games as a family? You like board games, card games? Or friend groups, maybe. Maybe you get together with a group of friends. Uh, I, I like that, and our family has always enjoyed that. But if you've done that at all, you know that the point, what it's all about, is you're trying to build relationships. You're trying to have fun. You're trying to make some memories. But you also know, if you've ever been part of a group of people of any kind, that there's always somebody in that group who's really, really, really about rules. Right? It slows everybody else down. And then there's always somebody else who really, really isn't about rules. Right? And it kind of causes chaos. And there's always somebody in the group who really loves to win and really hates to lose. And it makes it a little bit awkward. And there's somebody else in the group usually that really couldn't care less. And their strategy is so random it throws everybody off because they don't even care. How many know what I'm talking about? And so if you let any of those details get away from you, if you let like this, you know, any of those things get in the way then you miss the whole point. But if you remember what it's all about, you actually get through the game and you make some memories. And looking back, those game nights with my family, those are some of the times where we started really getting to know each other really well. Oh, you're the kind of person who really cares about rules. That's not a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? It's just they need the rest of the team. Oh, you're the kind of person who just wants to just have fun. We need you on the team too. Does that make sense? And that's, that, those are good things. But you only discover that when you remember what it's all about. If you just focus on one thing, you miss it. So together we're remembering today what it's all about. And to God, it's not just about people having a salvation experience. To God, salvation is kind of like birth or the day you get a job. Or the day you got into that one school you wanted to get into and tried so hard to get into and you finally made it. Whatever it is, it's the beginning. It's not the end. Salvation is such a big deal, but Jesus died and rose to save us so that we could not just go to heaven when we die, but to live a specific way on this earth, accomplish things. And we've got to remember that together. Today we're going to go in two specific directions uh, because we're talking about how to reach metaphorically what we're calling Samaria. Jesus in Acts 1.8, he talked about that the earliest disciples, they actually were in Jerusalem. So he said, start in Jerusalem, spread out to Judea, which is nearby, and then to Samaria, which was also nearby, but there were some barriers there. There were some cultural and several other different problems that why it was hard to talk to the Samaritans. Samaritan, yeah, Samaritans. So he wanted to make sure that they went there next and then eventually to the end of the world. That's where we're going. But first, in the context of moving out, we need to remember together there are three things that are always God's will. No matter where we are, uh, right where we are right now, where we spread out a little bit, where we spread out a lot, where we spread out a whole lot, these are always his will. 
Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, or O mortal, I'm sorry, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Act justly means to treat everyone with equal respect, to be kind to everyone. Whether you agree with them on everything is not as important as that you are supposed to treat them well. This has been part of the picture all the way since Genesis, throughout the Mosaic Covenant, through Jesus' new system, the kingdom he described in Matthew 5-7 through and all the other teachings. Justice is where we create and where we live in systems that make sure these things happen. That people are treated well. That people are treated with kindness. And God's people are the most responsible to make this happen on this earth. Last week I told you about a book called The New Christians by Gabe Lyons. And in that book he defines these kind of Christians as restorers. That's the name he gives them. And he says that restorers envision the world as it was meant to be. And they work toward that vision. They don't separate from the world or blend in. Rather they thoughtfully engage. It's hard. It's hard to do that, but that is our role. Uh, several weeks ago, we got several really good, wise things from Fred Rogers. Here's one more from him. It's easy to say, it's not my child, it's not my community, it's not my world, not my problem. Then there are those who see the need and respond. That's us. That's the role God has called us to play. And there's always going to be people sitting around our table, if you will, that are really more about the rules. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just not the whole picture. There's always going to be people sitting around our table, if you will, that really just want to help everybody get along and remind each other that we're just supposed to be nice to each other. And that's cool too, but that's not the whole picture either. We, as God's kingdom on earth, we're here to be the restorers to make things better, to get everybody around the table to work together to make things better. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The second big thing that is always God's will, no matter where we are, who we're reaching out to, how we're dealing with each other or outsiders, which just means people that aren't insiders yet. Okay, we want we love everybody. Second thing is this to love mercy. To offer the same forgiveness and grace that we have received to others. To offer the same hope and help for real change that we have received. There's three different groups of people, again. And I, I don't want to wear this out, but I hope that we understand this. This helps me understand myself and everybody else I know. And also remember the role that we're all collectively called to play. The, the people who are all about the rules. In, in Jesus' day, that would be the Pharisees. Today, uh, Gabe Lyons calls them the separatists. Some people would call them conservatives. None of those labels 100% fix this. But if you know that you're somebody who's all about the rules, this, this is the one group. And then there's another group. In Jesus' day, it was the Sadducees. And, and Gabe Lyons would call them the cultural Christians. Some people would call them liberals. Again, none of those labels fit 100%. This is not judgment. This is just trying to think through where do we naturally lean? In good ways and bad ways. Which, which way do we normally meet? And then there was Jesus in his day and the people who were following him. And 
sometimes it seemed like they were over here, sometimes over here. They kinda, it, but they never were part of either group. They were just trying to make God's will get done on earth. And that's who we are supposed to be, no matter how we're naturally bent. Here's how that would work. When Jesus told the stories, the lost stories. Uh, how many have ever heard those? The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Okay, the, the, some, group, some people hear that and here's what they get out of it. So the moral of the story is stay in your lane. Don't be the idiot that strays off and shuts everything down for crying out loud. Don't make the shepherd and the old woman and the dad suffer. There's no point. Follow the rules and do your thing for crying out loud. That's what they get out of those stories. Then there's other people who naturally go, do you see how kind that woman was? How kind that shepherd was? How much the dad loved both of the sons no matter what? Man, God just loves everybody. It doesn't matter what we do. There's a little bit of truth on both sides, but not complete truth. Are you with me on that? Restorers hear those story and they see the heart of God. And they see how he's willing to go and search. They also see that he's calling them and to be part of that process. To be the kind of people who go and look for those who are lost the way that he does. They look at that family and they go, wow, after all that pain and all that brokenness, imagine what it's going to be like now that both sons understand their father's heart. Both sons are working together for the first time to make that little farm something amazing. What a great time this is going to be now. You see the difference? That's the restores. That's how we look at life. Fred Rogers again, he says, knowing that we can be loved exactly as we are gives us all the best opportunity for growing into the healthiest of people. Several weeks ago, we said it like this, go where they are, love them as they are, but love them enough to bring them home and invite them to help build the kingdom that we were all designed to build together. Which leads us to the third thing that's always God's will, no matter where you are or who you are or who you're trying to reach, and that is to walk humbly. To walk humbly means to see yourself and everyone else, every other person on this planet, from God's perspective. And to work together to accomplish His will. This is what humility looks like. It's kind of ironic and kind of strange, but throughout time, if you look back through history... I'm one of those strange people, I guess, that really likes to study history. I know it's, I'm in a minority, but please don't judge me. But if you look through history, you'll find that the seasons where the church seemed under attack or really, truly was under attack are the times when it thrived the most. And whenever we somehow seized power, we started trying to combine God's will and politics, and we were really successful starting with the time that the emperor Constantine in Rome first came to power and became a Christian. It gets complicated. It gets weird. Suddenly Christianity stops being Christianity. Suddenly it, it, it gets really messy. Because we naturally lean one way or another. And if we've got enough power, we naturally start going one way or the other. And God wants us to be a separate thing. Here, here's one more way. Uh, again, we're going to move on, get as practical as we possibly can. But just to kind of, again, I want us to understand this in our own hearts. Which way do I lean? Neither one's right or wrong in and of itself. It's just how we're made. 
okay? It's, it's, it's a good thing. It can be a good thing. It can also be dangerous. But here we go. Pharisees, separatists, conservatives, here's, here's their bumper sticker. God is my co-pilot. Ever seen this one? If you have that on your car, I want you to know that I love you and Jesus loves you, but please scrape that nonsense off of the back of your car as soon as possible. And also, move seats. God is not your co-pilot. If he is, something is wrong. That is the danger. When we know we're right about something, when we've studied it, we've looked in the Bible and we've looked all these other places, we've got expertise, we've got, we just know we're right. It's so easy for some of us to say, wow, I know I'm right, and guess what? God backs me up. But that can't be the way it works. If you're right, praise God, but it needs to be right because he's in the driver's seat and you're also in the car. The bumper sticker for the people who are loosey-goosey or liberal or whatever you want to call it, cultural. And again, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. It can be a beautiful, wonderful thing. We need those people on the team. But their, their favorite bumper sticker is, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. How many have seen this one? Okay, if you've got that one, you can probably leave that on your car. But when people ask about it, you should remind them that Jesus' dream was not just to keep forgiving us. He actually gives us the hope and the help and the power to change. Yes, he keeps forgiving us. Thank God, but that's not the dream. Here's the best bumper sticker for Christians. I've never seen it in a Christian bookstore. It's not a Christian bumper sticker, but this is the one that I believe is the one that's most Christian. <laughs> student driver. And here's why. A student driver says, I am learning. I, I am not, I don't have this down. I, I still need forgiveness. I still need grace. But it also says, I know that there are some rules out there that we're supposed to be following. I understand that I need to learn how to play by those rules. And so does everybody else on that road. And I'm still learning. Maybe you are too. Give each other some grace. But let's all please follow these rules that I'm trying so hard to learn. You see the difference? That's what restorers do. Tony Evans has a wonderful message about the church that just came out on Right Now Media. I really love that. I got so much. I, I, I had to edit a bunch of the things I wanted to share out of that message with you. I'm just going to point you to it. Here's one. He said that in sports, there's always three teams. There's the home team, there's the visiting team, and then there's the referees. And the, and the important thing to remember is this, that the referees cannot be prejudiced. Are you with me on this? That's the thing we need to remember. That if we are not, if we're trying not to take sides about stuff, we can't take sides about stuff. We can't compromise what's real, what's true, whether that's rules or whether that's the gracious, forgiving, merciful, loving, humble attitude that God requires of us. We can't compromise either one of those because we love the people on this team so much or we love the people on that team so much. Or we really want this team to win. Or we really want this team to win. Or we really want either team to lose. Are you with me? Our, our job is to point people to the truth and to do that in love. So as we reach out, we start where we are, we move out just a little bit further, and then we get to reach out across where it gets a little bit harder because there's some barricades out there. And there's two ways to reach Samaria. Two ways to reach Samaria. The first thing is, you break down barricades. 
The second thing is you build new bridges. We're going to talk about what both of those mean, but first say this one with me. Break down barricades. One more time. Say it like you mean it. Break down barricades. Excellent. Now, the first draft of this, quite a while ago, I actually wrote down break down walls. But then I got to studying and praying more and trying to, and I realized and remembered that there's actually some really good walls. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, like a city who has no walls is a fool who lacks self-control. There are some things that we need to build around ourselves, some habits, some, some boundaries that we build around ourselves to just make it easier to stay in line. Stay in our lane is not always a bad thing. There are some things that we can do to protect others. There are some things we can do to make things more welcoming. We create walls and roofs that create welcoming spaces for people. Psalm 78 is a beautiful retelling, poetic retelling of what God did for Israel. And verse 13 says that God created walls out of water to lead his people out of Egypt. Can't be wrong if God does it. So not all walls are bad, but here's the, here's the thing. We break down barricades. And barricades are the little temporary walls that we build to help us fight. That's what a barricade is. A barricade is the kind of wall you build so that you have something to duck behind when somebody's shooting at you and something that you can jump over and shoot at somebody else from behind. A barricade are the, the walls that we put up like trenches back in some of the other wars. That barricades are the things that we put up between us and God, between us and other people to protect ourselves and make it easier to attack them. And if you're going to cross the boundary where those barricades are, we're the people who need to break down those barricades. Do you understand? If we're going to cross that border into Samaria, we have got to be about breaking down those barricades. 1 John 3, 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's some of that deep water we dip our toes in periodically. Everything the devil does creates a barricade between you and God. Everything he tricks us into doing creates a barricade between you and God. Makes it hard for you to hear or see God completely. Makes it easier for you to take pot shots at him and his will. And almost everything that the devil does or gets us to do creates barricades between us and other people. Even the people we love and especially anybody who seems like they're a different kind of people than we are because of what they believe, where they live, whatever. Whatever differences, it, sin makes it really easy to put up those barricades. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And that's a huge part of what he came to destroy. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. A.K.A. the barricade. There's just one big group in God, or at least there can be, if we are willing to work with him to break down those barricades. And some of those are cultural. We're going to get to that in a second. Some of those are, uh, there's a lot of different ways that those barricades get built. A lot of them are in ourselves. Uh, I, I wish I had time to unpack just James chapter 4 this morning. It's in the notes. I hope you go back and reread that later. But he walks through several of the barricades that really keep us separate from God and others. One is selfishness. One is what he calls friendship with the world. And that's simply that God is my co-pilot mentality. 
where we say, hey, I am a Tennessean or I'm an American, and I think that's good. Well, I'm going to prove it to you. I think there's a verse in the Bible where I could say that's a good thing. I'm not sure you're going to find that in the Bible. I love Tennessee. I love America. But are you with me on this? Where we work, this is the, the friendship with the world is when you say, I am a Republican. Here's why. I'm a Democrat. Here's why. Rather than I'm a Christian, therefore, God help me, let me see which one of those teams I could vote for this time. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm not being judgmental about that. That just happens to be the season we're in right this very weekend. But we start with our identity in Christ. And we break down those barriers. Our friendship with the world, a friendship with the world is the kind of barrier that says, if you don't see it my way, we can't be friends. We break down those barriers and we say, please, God, help us all see it your way. Pride, slander, judging neighbors. There's so many others in James 4. All of those barricades have to come down. Here's the next big thing that we have to do together, and that is to build new bridges. Everybody say that with me if you would. Build new bridges. And new is the key word there. Build new bridges. The old bridges have been turned into barricades. We've got to create new stuff. We've got to somehow see the world the way God sees it enough that we're willing to not only tear down the stuff that keeps us apart, but actually create new pathways for us to reach people easier and for them to come to God easier. If you look at the life of Jesus and everything he said, everything he did, in one way or another, he was doing one of those two things. He was breaking down a barricade or building a new bridges. His incarnation, his baptism, everything he taught, everything he did, all of his healing, the, the whole passion experience, the prayers and the suffering and the rising from the dead, every single part of it in one way or another was going that way. And he meant to do this. He was very intentional about it. One of the first things Jesus ever said, one of the first messages that he gave is recorded in Luke chapter 4. And what happened was Jesus had just been baptized. He had just experienced temptation in the wilderness. He shows back up into town 40 days later. He's a lot skinnier, but also a lot stronger. And he goes to the synagogue and he picks up the scroll that contains what we now call Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads what we now call Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. But the way he reads it, he makes it very, very clear that he's claiming to be this Messiah. They knew this was a messianic prophecy. This is what the Messiah would be all about. And Jesus is saying, I am all about this. In fact, when he sits down, he straight up says, this has been fulfilled in your, in your midst today. But here's what Jesus said. He stands up, grabs that scroll, and he reads to them. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about the year of Jubilee, the year that every 50 years, all the debts would be forgiven, all the slaves would be set free, everything would kind of recalibrate. They'd remember what it was all about, if you will. But notice who the good news is especially for. It's for outsiders. 
It's for people who are disconnected. It's for people that there's some sort of a barricade between them and God or them and God's people or both. And he says, I've got good news for them. Guess what the good news is? We're breaking down those barriers and we're building new bridges. That's what the good news is. The good news to an outsider is there's a chance for me to be an insider now. There didn't used to be, but now there's a chance. That's good news. If you're poor, there's a chance to not be so poor. Have what you and your family need. Guess what? That's good news. If you're a prisoner and there's a chance for you to get free, or you're blind and there's a chance for you to see, or there's a chance for you to not be oppressed anymore, that's good news. And Jesus says, guess what? I've got good news for those people. And it's no accident that almost every story and almost every thing that we know that Jesus did or said did those two things. But again, we're specifically trying to talk today about how to reach people that are across those barricades where there used to be a bridge. Maybe there never was one, but right now there's a barricade. How do we break that down? How do we cross it? Well, really coolly, I'm not sure that's the best way to say that, but I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Jesus actually literally went to Samaria. And how he treated the Samaritans there is a beautiful picture of exactly how this works when you cross those borders. Jesus and his disciples had to go from point A to point B, and in the middle was Samaria. If it would have been up to the disciples or any other Jews in their day, they would have walked around. But Jesus said, no, we're going to go straight through. And notice that the disciples, it was a time to eat. They didn't go into town. They're in the, they're, they're, they stop at the well right outside of town. They don't go into town to buy food. You know why? That's Samaritan food. They went somewhere else. I don't know where they went, but they went somewhere else to make sure they got kosher food for that night. Jesus, though, he hangs out at the well where anybody could show up. And who shows up? But somebody who's not only a Samaritan, but somebody that the Samaritans themselves shunned because of how she lived her life. But she shows up, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Now here's a quick heads up, trying to be as practical as I can this morning. I want you to expect what this is going to be like when you try to cross those borders. But if somebody's used to people being shot at, if they're used to people taking shots at them, and if you look or sound or in any other way remind them of the people who have oppressed them or hurt them in any way, guess what? They're really likely to shoot back. And that's what she does here. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She calls him out instantly on the prejudice that she just assumes that he has against her. And notice what Jesus does. She, he doesn't condemn her for that. He doesn't say, hey, you don't know me. Just because I'm a Jewish guy, just because I'm a Jewish rabbi, uh, you don't know me. Don't you judge me. He takes the conversation to a higher level instantly. He bypasses all that us versus them nonsense. And instead, he listens to her. He treats her as a person. He asks her questions. He, he answers her questions by speaking the truth in love. And pretty soon, in an amazingly short conversation, they form a connection. One of the most unlikely co connections you'll see in the Bible. And by the time that the disciples got back, this lady believes that Jesus is the Messiah and she's gone to bring everybody else in town. 
And by that night, Jesus and his Jewish companions spend that night and a couple more nights eating and staying in the homes of Samaritans. And the Samaritans are some of the first people who actually saw Jesus and chose to follow him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the anointed one that was sent by God to save us all. That's how you reach Samaria. You break down those barriers. You build some new bridges. You do it in love. You acknowledge the pain. You listen. You don't pretend it's not there, but you just don't go there. You don't shoot back when they shoot. Things change. We used a lot of Billy Joel's stuff this time just to kind of tie some things together. One of my all-time favorite Billy Joel songs is Leningrad off the Stormfront album. Anybody else besides me know that one, like that one? Okay, all three of you. Yay, good. It's a true story about a guy named Viktor Razanov, who's a Russian guy that when Billy Joel went to um, the Soviet Union, did a tour of the Soviet Union in 1987, this guy came to every single concert on the tour. And he ended up getting to come backstage and meet him, and they became friends. Billy Joel wrote a song about this is many years later when Victor actually got to come to America and go backstage in a, in a concert um, in America. But the song, as a songwriter, I really respect it. It's so beautifully done because he tells both of their stories in parallel. Both of them grew up on either side of the Cold War. And he does a wonderful job because he doesn't, he doesn't at all try to say, you know what? Communism is really a good idea. Let's, let's, we shouldn't have been fighting them at all. He doesn't say that. He doesn't try to pretend anything. He just notices, here's this guy growing up, and he's, he's being raised in this environment. He's doing this. Here's me. Here's me. And here's our two stories. And eventually, we meet up right here. And he realized when he met this guy, this rabid fan from Russia, that this guy was primarily defined by being a person. He's not a Russian. He's not a communist. He's a person. He said, and so my child and I came to this place to see him eye to eye and face to face. He made my daughter laugh and we embraced. We never knew what friends we had until we came to Leningrad. We've got to go where they are. We've got to love them as they are and invite them into something bigger. We've got to be willing to bust down the barriers, not pretend they're not there, not try to justify them being there, break them down. We've got to build new bridges. And when we do that, there's hope. So this morning I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you from one fellow restorer to another on behalf of Jesus. Would you pray these prayers with me this morning? Lord, help me break down my blank barricade. I don't know what that is. It might be something really personal. It might be something between you and God that just needs to go before you can even think about reaching out more. Maybe that's something between you and your family, somebody else in your closest circle of friends or family. I don't know, but here's where I hope God can take you even before the day is out. 
as you break down whatever other barriers they may be, this is the kind of barricade I'm hoping that you're gonna, he's going to show you. You're going to write something down on this blank. Is there anybody that you consider them, not us? Is there anybody that you would say, oh, I don't judge them, but... Is there anybody that you are less likely to talk to or to share Jesus with for any reason at all? Ask God about that and say, Lord, help me break down my barricade. The second prayer that I hope that we can all pray together today is, Lord, help me build a bridge between blank and blank. And again, maybe that's you and God. And if that is you and God, then that's where you need to start. Always start where you are and move out. Maybe that's somebody in your family. Maybe that's somebody in the church. I don't know who this might be. But I hope by the end of this day, if you pray this, if you go to God with this prayer and you actually like mean it, I hope that you're gonna, he's going to end up taking you somewhere really awesome and say, God, help me build a bridge between the church and these people, between Jesus and this one person between myself and this one person that I might have overlooked yesterday because of that barricade that we just tore down. Would you pray those prayers? And would you take the first step today? We're going to stand and sing as we always do. At the end of every service, we always give you a chance to make a public decision if you need to make one. Every single time. It doesn't have to be public. But we've got people standing by just to pray with you if you need prayer. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to break down a barricade between you and him, if you would like to build a bridge, if you would like to be part of our church as we are continuing to learn how to do all of this better. If there's any other choice that you need to make public, I invite you to do that. But if not, please make these choices together as we stand and as we sing. You just listened to part four of Moving Out, a five-part series on the Sunday Sermons podcast. 